Welcome to Team Perry's Step Out of Line podcast, featuring co-hosts Perry and Lori Finkelstein. Together, they explore, meet, and share inspirational stories with guests who have made a positive impact in today's world. This podcast resonates with our hope to make this world a better place one step at a time through love, acceptance, and uplifting conversations. In a way, I mean, I feel like my whole life has been a little bit out of the lines. You know, I'm a career bass player, and I happen to be the breadwinner. I don't know if I would have preferred it that way necessarily. You know, I could have in another life married uh, some sort of a doctor or lawyer or something and been very okay with that. But the way it's arranged right now, I play music and I, and I feed four mouths and a cat mouth. Every day I wake up and I'm kind of like mystified by this whole thing. I, I just never thought it was supposed to work out like this, like any, like any, any other 17, 18 year old kid who had the same aspirations of kind of being like a rock star or played an instrument. And that's all I really cared about. I didn't, I didn't have the foresight then to be thinking about family and buying a home and paying bills. Somehow, even through my own mistakes and short-sightedness sometimes and lack of dreaming big, I was able to end up in this position where I'm kind of making it work playing a bass guitar. And that's unbelievable to me. I have a very outside-of-the-box job. I'm really grateful for that. I think we're all unique. Well, I think a lot of people that know me would say, you know, Kyle's an interesting dude. Um, my hobby is I run long distance ultra marathon races in the mountains. I've been doing that for 10 years now. I've been an ultra runner. That's actually one of my very few hobbies. I mean, I, other than that, I, I read a little bit. I play some video games from time to time. I have another journey with my daughter who is on the autism spectrum and she's uh, fairly moderate. So it's I think some people hear moderate and they think mild. You know, she has a she has a, a genuine disability. At the same time, it's kind of entered me and my wife into this whole other life, this whole other world of you know s- some of the wonderful and challenging parts of uh, raising a kid that's on the spectrum. Folks that are not as able or dealing with a special situation in their lives um, and unique challenges to that. So. That's been another area where I've had to learn a lot and be comfortable being outside the lines. There's things that we encounter every day with our daughter that are just, you have these fleeting voices of, man, I just wonder, I know for a fact that not many of my friends, you know, deal with this, whatever the situation is. It takes, as I'm sure you guys know, and especially as as a parent, Harry, you know, your own challenges and Lori, you as mom, it takes a lot of courage for both of you on a given day to be comfortable in your own skin and to, you know, there's that mix of acceptance and bravery, just kind of getting through the day. I think for anyone, but especially if you have some unique challenges or unique things going on between playing music for a living, being an ultra runner, which is a strange and painful obsession. (laughs) Some people would say a foolish one. And then my life as dad and autism dad. Yeah, I have a pretty unique situation. I also have attention deficit disorder, fairly moderate. I've been dealing with that my whole life. And sort of the typical insecurities, the journey I think we're all on to finding comfort in our own skin. I feel honored 
with the life that I have, I have to rise to being an ambassador of what I've been given and to try to make the best out of it on a daily basis. I'm constantly looking out for the little threads that kind of unite us as human beings. And one of those things is suffering. Sometimes it's suffering that you signed up for <laughs> unbeknownst to you. And other times it's the you know suffering that life has kind of laid at your feet. And, you know, there's always the, the big why I do those things. And the, the big why is because on top of my ADHD, I, I've always struggled with anxiety since I, I was a little kid. One of my first memories are just being scared, you know, a lot of things. I set out on this journey when I was I was in my early 20s. I was just kind of, you know, going through the motions and partying a lot. I mean, my only concerns when I woke up was just basically rock and roll, chase girls, go party tonight. <laughs> like, that's all I was living for, you know, myself. My grades were slipping. I was kind of in and out of school. And, and I was working a little bit, uh, to be fair. I wasn't a total, you know, slacker. But uh, at some point, I did start feeling this impulse that if I didn't kind of uh, get it together, then I wouldn't ever live up to my full potential. And so one of the things that I started to do was someone like me had always been kind of afraid of discipline and structure. Those things kind of pressed up against my anxiety and I just didn't like the way they felt. And so I, I lived this very like loose life with no rules. And after a while I had a, enough of that and, and I started getting, you know, quite depressed and noticing that I just wasn't living up to what I thought was my potential. What would you say the age was um, where you really said, okay, you know, I'm good at this and, and this is what I'm doing. Like, how old were you? I would just use any vice as an excuse to not do the work for myself. Didn't want to admit the ADHD thing that I've been hearing since I was a kid. I didn't really know about the anxiety yet, or I would kind of mask it with drugs and alcohol and with partners and you know, like my dating life and all that stuff. I just used everything as medicine, basically. When I was 29, I got sober for about two years. It was during that period where my wife and I, we we had dated off and on. Um, that was when we finally got back together and I had the clear enough head to realize like, oh my God, this is an incredible woman. And I've known her since I was, you know, 17 or 18 years old. And I just, I've tried everyone else. Like, I don't want to do life with anyone but her. So I remember specifically, I was 29 years old when I had kind of put the partying down, uh, reconnected with my now wife. The running started to give me, A, some discipline, and uh, that became something that I just started looking forward to every single day. To just go out and do something that was what they call type two fun. It's not fun in the moment. It's kind of fun when you look back on. And the other thing was that it helped me to start looking at suffering and struggle and as something that is, is a muscle that you can train to be a little more tolerant of. So when I first got into running, it was, it was very shallow, you know, to kind of to, to lose weight and get my stuff together and kind of like uh, have some structure. And then very quickly, as I started, you know, I, so like you guys, I, I ran in a 5k at the local zoo in Nashville and then the next challenge was like, oh, what's next? Oh, I bet I could run a half marathon, you know, so sign up for a half marathon. And I ran a few of those. And then I started seeing the full marathon people and thinking, man, they look 
they just looked tougher than me. And it was right about that time I, I started reading a book called Ultra Marathon Man by uh, a guy named Dean Carnassus, who's a kind of a legendary ultra runner from the 90s. And this is before most people had really even heard of an ultra marathon. I picked this book up and started somewhere around my first marathon and started reading about these people that would run 100 miles or more without stopping. I thought the marathon was the ultimate human challenge, you know, that, that your heart would explode if you went past 26 miles, right? That's kind of like what we all grew up with. It's sort of an urban legend. Started finding out all, you know, these people, this whole underground society of people that would run through the night and well into the next day and did these crazy distances and they would deal with all this, you know, foot blisters and nausea and throwing up and, you know, uh, falling asleep while they were running through the night, wildlife encounters and broken bones. And like, I just, something inside of me just continually was looking for the next uh, challenge to rise to. And I think I just knew inherently that it was, uh, it would be good for someone like me that was undisciplined, afraid, insecure, and unfocused to pick something like an ultra marathon. I figured like, man, if you could run a hundred mile race, you would really have to have your stuff together, you know, like to finish one of these. I had been a runner, uh, I dabbled in running and kind of gotten serious about running even before I, I got serious about some other things. But I think that was one of the tools that I used first to kind of like, well, see, if I can run marathons, if I can run ultra marathons, like that, I can get my stuff together. In that period where I really like just changed things completely and, and I got a lot of help, I, I did therapy. I finally, you know, started either taking medications or, or at least doing work on the anxiety condition, the ADHD, the medication side of it has come in and out. Like there are seasons where, you know, it's helpful and seasons where I feel fine without it. We got married like a year or two later, and then we had my daughter soon after that. And so it, be it began this series of events where I kind of had to grow up. Uh, at this point, I've run over 17 official races, official ultramarathon races with a few marathons in there and a few half marathons. You know, something like 20 or 30 unofficial marathon, as far as like an ultra marathon training distance, like where I'll go run 30 or 40 miles. During this last race, I, I had to kind of rewind. Now I'm kind of entering middle age and I'm starting to kind of think about why, why am I out here? Why am I doing this? The nausea, the discomfort. And that's something that we all, as, as first of all, as runners, uh, we all kind of like, we all know those feelings, but then in life, life offers you so many, well, you can call them chances or you can just call it, you know, cards, but life is just objectively tough. And, you know, for me, the running, it was a, a vehicle towards unlocking more of my potential and becoming more comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that has, I mean, literally changed my life. And it's in weird ways. I mean, it's gotten me ready for things like autism and things like uh, career stressors and things that make you afraid. When I first got the call to do uh, Katy Perry while I was with Kelly, I mean, I spent a few years really uncomfortable and really afraid that I would, you know, piss someone off or, or lose one of those two jobs or, you know, trying to figure out a way to make that work and to keep putting food on, on the table for the family is really like one uh, an achievement I'm very proud of, and there's there's no ego in it for me. It's just uh, it was another 
puzzle I kind of had to solve. And a lot of the tenacity to kind of keep problem solving, keep, you know, trying to come back day after day and figure out how to make this all work. I think I got a lot of that through my running uh, practice. So, you know, now I, it's gone beyond running. It's just, you know, I look my uh, mental health stuff head on with the ADHD and anxiety. I meditate every day and look parenthood head on. I've come to the place where I'm more comfortable, not only with my, my daughter's disability, but like, uh, you know, I, I walk down the street or if I'm taking my son to school and I see kids that have special needs, my heart just glows now. Like I, I used to be just being full, um, fully transparent. When you're a young man and you have no experience or you don't even have kids yet, I would cower from that. I didn't want to deal with, you know, even really like acknowledging that like people can be born with different stacks of cards and cards laid out in different ways. It was just too heavy for me. Whereas now I'm able to kind of see all of that that I wasn't able to see before. And now I see kids walking into, you know, special needs or a uh, line at my, at my daughter's school and, and some of them can't walk. And I just smile because I've gotten lucky enough to be led into this whole other world that a lot of people aren't aware either exists or they don't want to acknowledge the humanity of all these people in this situation. And it's just helped me to just see full humans everywhere I go. Some of the like the nonverbal kids that are in my daughter's class, I'm, I'm really, really uh, lucky that my daughter can speak. It's it's a little bit broken. It's kind of hard to understand for most people. We can kind of understand her, you know, eighty percent of the time. But a lot of her classmates can't speak, and it's even helped me to kind of like to see the humanity in each one of those kids and realize that like there's actually a full human being in there that has a full range of experiences and emotions and is communicating in their own way, uh, kind of strayed from from running, but. All of that stuff has kind of helped me to just be able to do the hard things and to rise to these little moments throughout the day where I used to kind of be afraid. So I'm grateful for that. You know, I mean, I have a long way to go. I, I never feel like I've arrived. I'm not perfect. I never will be. But I can see the journey I'm on. And I'm really grateful for that. So your wife must be very special also. She's really the rock and the backbone of, of the family. There's all these things, especially with, with our kids, schooling, dental, medical, my daughter's IEPs and the, the things that she needs to right. find care and good positioning at her schools. I'm thinking you're an ultra marathoner, but I'm thinking your wife is much tougher because if she could get through an IEP <laughs> meeting, yes. really, you have nothing on her. She wins, yeah. Yeah, I know. She <laughs> no, I, I don't sure. disagree with you because I've only been to her first IEP meeting and, and it was it was a lot. Because I'm busy working for the most part, she a lot of that stuff, as you know, Lori, does fall on her. Being a parent of a child who has extraordinary needs, it always was I have no choice. What what else <clears throat> are you to do? You have to take care of things and you have to do what you have to do. And of course, I have to rise to the occasion because who else is going to do it? On a day-to-day -day basis. And that doesn't mean, like you said, people, oh, you're so brave and blah, blah, blah. She resents that a lot. You know, I think there are moments where it's like, I don't feel like being brave today, but you have to. And she constantly rises to those challenges and she meets them. And, and then, you know, uh, on a good day, we hit the sack and we sleep really hard and, and she gets a back rub and 
you know, we have our, our QT and, and get up and do it all over again. But I just became fascinated with sort of the art of struggling and how to struggle with grace or even if it's ungraceful, how do you move through life and keep learning and keep rising to different challenges with the deck that you've been given? I, I really wouldn't change a thing about the way my life has laid out and been going. And, and you know, obviously there are future hurdles down the road, but I just try to take every opportunity to, to kind of test out my resilience with adversity and fear and challenges and all this stuff, because they're not going to go anywhere. If you weren't a musician, did you have any backup plans? Again, I, I hadn't really delved into my, my ADHD or learned how to kind of uh, what some of my tendencies are. When I was younger, everything was just by the seat of my pants and very uh, sporadic. And, you know, one of the things that someone with my type of brain deals with impulsivity. I learned that you can flip impulsivity to be a really beautiful thing when it comes to being creative and and kind of uh, uh, adjusting on the fly. But when I was young, everything was just kind of impulsive for the most part. I just didn't listen to people saying like, oh, you need a backup plan. Once I discovered music and I discovered playing bass and singing and writing and all that, I mean, that was really the only path forward. Later, as a young man, with kids, there's a, a low season in my career where things were really slow, right before I got the, the Kelly job, actually. And I uh, had gotten a side job at a running store it, just for extra income and it was something I enjoyed. And there was a brief period of time where I, I considered being a professional running shoe sales rep. <laughs> and actually, when times get tough, I still kind of think about it. I'm like, I mean, I know I could do it a great job selling running gear, you know, like I'm a natural running salesman. So, and there's really, there's no shame in having a backup plan or having uh, other things you're good at. I mean, when I was younger, I thought that was such a like admission of weakness that you would ever consider not going all the way with your passion. But with kids and the realities of life and juggling jobs and stuff, like it's very smart to have a plan B. You don't have to keep it in the forefront. You can have a secret plan B that you don't, tell anybody about or even entertain that much, but it, it doesn't hurt to have one. People who know you from way back then, and I don't know, I assume you're driving a minivan or something right now. <laughs> they just laugh at you saying, my God, what happened to Kyle? He's you know, it's so cool. Yeah, he was, he was so rock and roll. Funniest thing is like, when I was cool, when I look back now as an adult, I mean, I just don't feel like I actually was that cool. I was chain smoking cigarettes. I was hungover every day. I was making a lot of bad decisions uh, just in many aspects of my life. But yeah, I kind of fit the model of like, the I thought I was a rock star and that's kind of what I would seem like, I guess. I feel like I'm a lot cooler now. That most days I'm fairly proud of. Any friends that would have said that now they're either my age or just a little younger than me or just are already a little older than me. And now we're, you know, it's, you're kind of the odd man out if you don't have kids or, or you don't have career stress or, or whatever, if you're still kind of living that like nocturnal young man or young woman's life at the bar. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I'd, I'd rather be where I am <laughs> right now. You know, my dad always told me when I was young, you hear all these dogs about hard work and preparation meets opportunity. So he was big on that. There are some people out there that prepare, do all the work. They're they're insane musicians, and they never really get, for one reason or another, the opportunity. I was really lucky that my story is kind of twofold. 
I was always, I was pretty good from the beginning. Like I had sort of a natural, it, it clicked with the music and with the bass guitar, but I also put in a lot of practice time and I, and I went to school and I studied music and, you know, didn't graduate and then came back and then didn't graduate again. But at least the, the second time I was a, a way better and more interested student. For the first 20 years of my career, I had some highs and I had a lot of lows and I kind of hovered in sort of the middle of the spectrum as far as what a successful musician is considered. There was an inflection point about five years ago where I did get an opportunity with Kelly and I was ready for it. I was a really good player by that point. I had a lot more wisdom and I had had a lot of failure under my belt and I was ready for this when the opportunity presented itself. I had just had a daughter, just got married and I was focused on that job, laser focused. So when, when Jason gave me the call and uh, my first day at work, it wasn't really an audition, but it was an audition. <laughs> it was like, you know, he called me basically for a taping. Hey, we're gonna play these eight songs. Um, I think I had, you know, a week to prepare or something like that. And, you know, I walked in knowing that it was a life-changing opportunity and that it was my opportunity to lose. The first few years in that job, I mean, I was like almost overly focused. The band kept trying to get me to kind of lighten up and not take everything so <laughs> seriously. I just, I knew what was at stake. I knew deep down that I was on that level to be playing with the best in the world. And I'd always known that. And sometimes I didn't believe it because of the circumstances or because of whatever letdown I had just experienced. But deep down, I always knew that like I could do it. I could play with, uh, with legendary artists at the top of the game and hold my own with anyone. And uh, it was through those opportunities and being ready for them and you know, like I said earlier, going through the motions with the uh, intimidation and the fear. And even after I, you know, really kind of worked my, my way into the Kelly world and had pretty firm footing there. And I got the call to do Katie. It was many years later, we were already doing the Kelly show. And I was working with Katie and taking some other like bigger calls. And I actually had to do some therapy on imposter syndrome. There were days that it was so hard to believe that my subconscious wouldn't even accept it. Actually, Katie called me out one time after our first gig. She gave me a hug and just said, oh, my gosh, you did an amazing job. And I said something like, you know, uh, it'll be better next time because I, I, that's how I am with myself. I'm always looking to be better. Perry, you can identify it, right? And that can, you know, so, and Katie looked at me. She was walking away and she turned around. And she said, no, you heard I'm not good enough and you need to work on that shit. That's what she said to me. So, so she had just given me this compliment and told me I did a, a fantastic job. You know, I, I came in and, and nailed it. I heard something different. Apparently, she had just done that work herself. And that's why she was so ready to call me out on it. She had spent years in therapy working on imposter syndrome. And you can only imagine how, how much that scaled up when you're a, a, one of the biggest stars on Earth. There are things that Kelly and Katie have going on that I'll never understand. But she did understand that one. And she was like, you need to do some work on that. It kind of was the, the beginning of me uh, doing some therapy on imposter syndrome and finally realizing that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And so, you know, do I have pinch myself moments? Of course. You know, we're on set at the Kelly show and just the, the craziest celebrities are there. And you're meeting these people that like you only see on television and you're getting to play music with some of them. I've gotten a lot better in the last couple seasons. Uh, when I go home. I leave work at work and I drive home and see my family. And I realize like, 
I, I am the guy for this job. And, and we built uh, the band and I and Jason and, and um, Kelly, we built the musical aspect of that show as a team. And so I'm very proud of that. I don't really do that as much anymore as far as, you know, not being able to believe it. I, I actually do believe it, but it's only because I've done a lot of work. When you have hardship and you live your days rising above more challenges than most people have to deal with, you can enter a mindset of you have so tuned that muscle of like having to be better than everybody else. It can be hard to have grace for yourself. Uh, sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. I'm never ashamed of showing emotion. But, but you know, the truth is like learning how to love yourself and just be uh, take it easy on yourself. Life provides you with the challenges. Sometimes driven people, Perry, like yourself, I took myself to a degree, Lori, yourself, uh, we can be our own worst enemy because we're so used to fighting uphill and we blah, 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 that like, I'm like, let life give you the challenges, but give yourself the the love and the the grace. And that balance, you know, I think helps us get up every day and, and keep moving forward. But if life is kind of beating you up and then you're beating yourself up, oh my gosh, I've, been, I've lived that way. And it's really dark. Harry, you, you've accomplished a lot. And, you know, sometimes you need other people to to help speak that into you. That's part of what some of the therapy I did for um, imposter syndrome was about. My, my therapist would get going about how when he saw my file, he was, he was a little intimidated to start working with me because of some of my achievements. And that just tickled me, but he would, he would regularly make me cry anytime he would either, you know, praise me or, you know, compliments or whatever. I really struggle with that. And I think it's a, it's a type of personality when you, when you've overcome a lot, it, it kind of drives you crazy to get complimented because you're, you're not convinced that it's the truth.